Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Marquecho, and you're listening to episode 46. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is Jillian Benfield. Jillian is a former TV journalist and PR specialist turned military spouse and mom of three. Her second child, Anderson, surprised their family when he arrived rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome. Jillian is a past board member of the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network and current medical outreach volunteer. She is passionate about school inclusion, breaking down outdated stereotypes surrounding disability, and being a voice for parents of children with special needs. When she is not moving to a new state or transporting kids to doctor's appointments, she is writing on her blog, JillianBenfield.com. Jillian is an inspiring speaker and an aspiring author. You may have seen her work featured on Good Morning America, The Today Show, and Yahoo News. Hey, Jillian, welcome to We Are Free. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so you guys move around a lot. Where, what's we, the latest? We do. Yeah. Um, I think we've lived, I, I really need to get this number right. I think <laughs> we have lived in seven states together. Um, and we just moved, recently located to Colorado and we're super excited to be here. That's so cool. It's a beautiful state. Um, yeah. well, I love going there. Um, yeah. You say today we're going to talk about um, mostly about Down syndrome and what it is like to parent a child with Down syndrome, what it is like to um, have expectations of a family that might look differently than what the family God has for you. Um, you say in your bio that Anderson, he's your middle child, right? Yes. That he surprised you all um, when he arrived. Tell us a little bit about that day. Um, you didn't know he had Down syndrome when he was born or tell us a little bit about that. We actually did. So okay. um, yeah, let me just give you the whole, the uh-huh. whole story. So um we were, <laughs> we were waiting to find out where our second military assignment would be. Um, my husband is a military, he's now an orthodontist. At the time, he was finishing up a one-year general dentistry residency in Las Vegas. And so we were so excited to find out where we were going to live for the next three years. And on this day where we are waiting and I am pacing and pacing and waiting for this phone call, it was May 8th, 2014. I still remember the day. Um, My husband calls and I said, what do we get? And he very flatly said, Alamogordo, New Mexico. And we both just got (laughs) really quiet. And I said, Andy, where is that? (laughs) And, you know, and it was this whole thing. And I spent most of the day crying because like you mentioned before, I was a TV journalist and I thought that I would go back to TV news. And so obviously there is no TV station in Alamogordo, New Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I spent that whole day kind of grieving this loss of an adventure that I had hoped for, but also the loss of my career. And then um, later that same day, I just had this strange feeling. And that feeling told me to take a pregnancy test. I now believe that was, you know, God guiding me. Um, And it was positive. And we were not trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. It was a total and complete shock. So with that said, 
um, we moved to Alamogordo three months later and eight days after we moved, I had my 20 week ultrasound. And that was when we started to figure out that he had Down syndrome. Okay. That's kind of a wild story. <laughs> it is kind of a wild story. It's <laughs> That's a lot of changes at once. It's a lot of changes at once. Um, our diagnosis was um, pretty awful. Um, once that we, once we got the blood result tests back um, after that 20-week scan, the doctor um, called us into his office and he said to us that um, that he had Down syndrome. And my response was, well, can you tell us what this means for his life? And he said to me, he seemed kind of surprised by the question. Um, I think he thought that we would just go forward with termination since he had already offered that. Um, and he seemed surprised and he said, oh, well, well, at worst, he'll never feed himself. And at best, he'll mop the floors of a fast food restaurant one day. And he followed it up with, but, uh, but don't worry, don't worry. You don't have to be a hero. You know, you can, you can, if you decide to go forward with the pregnancy, you can have the baby here and we'll keep him comfortable, but we don't have to do anything drastic to save his life. So in other words, we could keep our consciences clean by deciding to go forward with pregnancy, but then we could just let him die of natural causes. So that was our diagnosis story. And because it was so awful, I think, and because I didn't know anyone with Down syndrome, um, you know, when I was in high school, it was all the kids special needs in a very segregated setting, never saw them. Um, I really had no frame of reference. And so um, what, in, what ensued was, I would say, two months of very deep grieving. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe, I mean, I'll keep my opinions to myself. <laughs> I, I mean, that's almost shocking. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, is that the norm? Do you know? Like, I don't think that my story is the norm. Mm -hmm. I do, but I will say with my work with, you mentioned the Down syndrome diagnosis network, I don't think, I think what's not the norm about my story is how extreme his language mm -hmm. was. However, I do think it is not uncommon for doctors to push termination. Um, that is my experience in talks with hundreds of moms. And, and, and granted, there are hundreds of really great doctors who, you know, we've, we've worked with those physicians, you mm -hmm. know, who, and women who have had wonderful experiences. But even today in 2020, this is, I would not say that my story is out of the norm. Mm -hmm. Do you know, do you happen to know the numbers at all? Um, just like in your own research with um, diagnosis and termination? Um, in this country, see, the numbers can be very inflated. Mm -hmm. And that um, to me is a little disturbing because you'll see numbers like 90% termination rate. And that's not accurate for this country. Okay. Um, and why I don't like those numbers being uh, misstrewed here is I think that if people think it's the norm, then that is the route they're, they're going to take. When it's, but, 
Um, recently, within the last five years, Dr. Brian Scottco out of Massachusetts um, did a study where he found that with a prenatal diagnosis, the termination rate goes up about 30% in this country. Now, that really high number in the 90%, that is accurate for some other countries. Okay. Um, we see that in um, Denmark and I think Iceland. There was a couple of years ago, a story came out about like how Down syndrome is disappearing in, in some European countries, which is, you know, really heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. So you have your little boy, you have yeah. Anderson. Um, yeah. What were those early months and years like? Um, any difference in your mind? You have had a, you had a child previously. Is it your daughter? She's older. Yes, okay. my daughter's older. So like, how would you compare those early years? Yeah, um, they were absolutely harder. Yeah. Um, the My pregnancy with Violet was you know, just picture perfect. And her first couple of, of months were, um, you know, no, no issues. Um, I, I was actually asked this question yesterday and, um, I told the interviewer, I was like, you know, I've always said that I personally think the transition from one to two kids is harder from two to three, but I also don't think I have a great frame of reference for that Yeah, <laughs> because Anderson, when he was born, he spent the first, uh, seven days in the NICU because he had a hole in his heart and he had low oxygen levels. And we thought that the hole in his heart would close. The doctor told us that he was 95% certain that it would, and it didn't. Um, so in between the time he was born up until five and a half months old, when he ended up having open heart surgery, um, he took like 45 minutes to eat each bottle and that's eight bottles a day and just feeding him alone. Mm -hmm. And I was pumping, you know, whatever. So it was, it was a full-time job just feeding him. Yeah. Um, you know, and then clearly open heart surgery was, was a hard time. And I will say though, after that, things got much better and I got into a groove and therapy became the norm. And, um, you know, the appointments became the norm and I, in a way I almost looked forward to them, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I think that would be a pretty accurate picture. Yeah. And how old is Anderson now? He's five and a half. Okay. So what does life look like for your family? You have three kids. Um, yeah. And, yeah. What does the day-to-day -day look like for you guys? And what do you wish maybe people knew, uh, maybe not wish they knew, but just if somebody could be a fly on the wall or have a little bit more insight or um, sensitivity or what is something you wish people knew about, you know, having mm -hmm. a child with Down syndrome and having a family dynamic, like what that looks like? Well, first of all, I would say that Anderson has absolutely changed me um, for the better, 100%. Um, and I think that he makes, you know, we kind of have a divert, we're, you know, we are a white middle-class family, um, but he's brought diversity to our family. And I think that has opened us up in a lot of different ways to um, to see people on the margins um, more clearly, um, where maybe we would have turned a an eye away from that, um, before we had him. Um, and that's been one of the greatest blessings about having Anderson. Um, when it comes to our day to day, um, you know, Anderson, <laughs> Anderson's a kid. Um, he loves, he is my best toy player. Um, he loves to play 
pretend in the kitchen. I think this kid could have a future in being a chef one day. <laughs> he, he loves to cook. He loves, he's anytime he sees me cooking, he's pulling up a chair and wants to help me. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. He's so cute. Um, and, um, but you know, and I always try to, to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm honest, you know, I think Anderson has, has made me honest and made me stop performing. Um, and the truth is, is that our family deals with more, we have extra in our lives. Um, and that comes with appointments, um, you know, specialists and therapies and, um, and also there's some behavior things with Anderson too, um, things that he is going to grow out of and things that are getting better, but you know, he's a runner. So, um, every, how every lock in our house is baby proofed okay. so that he won't run into the street, you know? So there's an extra layer of precaution and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more, Jillian, you said he's helped you to stop feeling like you have to perform. Um, if you would tell me a little bit more about what, how he's done that, how he's changed your heart, your outlook. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, with my background, I, I used to be a singer, right? So um, like when I was in high school, my extracurricular activities, like I, <laughs> I would sing national anthems like all around Florida, um, like for the Orlando magic. And, um, I was like on a singing competition on TV. So, um, and then I got into TV journalism and that is, you know, it was journalism, but in a way there's a performance piece to that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you kind of have to look perfect. Uh, you have to look a certain way. And, um, <laughs> I would never would have left the house in those days without makeup on, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I guess Anderson has changed that because, um, it, I mean, he's just shown me, Anderson helped me discover my true self, you know, mm -hmm. um, not the performance, not the performer that I, I wanted people to see like before. Um, you know, you and I were talking about me writing a book and it's kind of scary to like, say like, Hey, I have an agent and they're looking for a publisher right now because Hey, guess what? If, what if it doesn't get picked up? Right. Um, that fear of failure would have been too great for me to ever admit something like that before Anderson. But I think Anderson has shown me that life is really in, um, life really happens when you're broke and wide open. So I think that's what he's done for me. Um, there is no perfect person. There is no perfect life. But I, I think that's what he's done for me as he's shown me that um, a different life is not a less than life. Um, we have a different life now with parenting a child with a disability. And I, I think it's for sure for that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, you are an advocate for um, kind of tearing down walls of like of the stereotypes <laughs> surrounding kids with disabilities. Jillian, tell me a little bit about um, some of like the biggest misconceptions, the things that you have experienced personally, maybe your family or just things that are out there that you want to and are taking a stance on. Um, what are some of those stereotypes and how can we how can we start to change some of those things? I think when it comes to Down syndrome in particular, people think that um, people with Down syndrome are uh, are not multifaceted, um, that they are always happy. Um, you know, I, I get, uh, honestly, I've had people say to me that they think 
children with special needs are, um, are like literal angels sent from God. And I couldn't disagree more. Um, Anderson is absolutely, um, his own person. He is 100% human. I know this because I'm his mother and I have seen (laughs) some things. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think from, you know, a faith standpoint, it is to recognize, I want people to recognize, um, children and adults with disabilities as humans, as, um, diverse humans, um, that, uh, there might be parts of their disability that makes life harder, but that doesn't mean that they're living a less than or a sad life. Yeah. Um, Anderson there, I, I, he's getting to an age where I'm starting to see some challenges with other interactions with other people. Um, and that is hard to, to witness. He wants to be friends and kids might look at him a little bit, strangely like they don't know how to interact with him his um speech is you know obviously delayed um and and that is hard but he is going to become his own person those things are going to make him a stronger person and he's going to get there in his own time and in his own way and um i think that's something that i i would want people to know is that you know his life is not less and um it's really, it's not people with disabilities that need to change. It's really us that needs to change. We, um, we live in a world that is not accessible to those with disabilities um, in so many different ways. And we expect them to always adapt. And yet we are so unwilling to um, adapt to them, you know? Yeah. So. What are some of those ways that you um, would like to see change that to make the world more accessible? Well, first of all, I think I'm very passionate about school inclusion. I think that is the the starting point for everything because if we don't have children with disabilities in the general education classroom, then how are we going to expect um, people without disabilities to hire people with disabilities in the future? How are we going to have an integrated society if it doesn't start at school? Mm-hmm. If we start off our kids, and I'm, I'm talking about my typically developing kids here too, if they don't have kids with disabilities around them, well, then kids with disabilities are always going to be other to them. You know, they're not going to understand them and understand that they are just human and they want what everybody wants, and that is to be loved and accepted for who they are. And so if that's it does not become the norm at school, mm-hmm. which it should be in 2020. And there are laws in place for this. And yet this is still not the norm. I think only 18% of high schoolers with intellectual disabilities are included in the general education classroom. Okay. So this, this is a societal problem. And I guess what I would ask for parents listening to this who have children without disabilities is to create inclusive environments at school. You know, think about kids with disabilities when you're holding those PTA meetings and what, um, what events are going to look like and, um, and to, you know, not, snub your nose at a child with a disability who's in your child's class. Maybe 
maybe they do take away um, some time from instruction. However, isn't that going to make your child more adaptable? Mm-hmm. Isn't that going to ultimately make your child a better person? Because education should be more than numbers and reading. It should be, you know, whole person learning. Right. Preparing the child to walk away from a school and right enter society. Yeah, exactly. And so um, that's where I really think that these stereotypes um, are, they, it has to start at school. It has to. Yeah. Jillian, what are some other ways outside of school and like school participation involvement from parents there? What are some things that parents can do um, who have children who do not have a disability to actually make a positive impact on families um, that do include a child with a disability? Gosh, I think that's a kind of a hard question. You know, I think what has made a difference to me, um, actually just recently when we moved here to Colorado, we have two um, friends who we've been stationed with in other states with uh, before who live here, which is such a blessing. Um, but their children know Anderson. And I knew that this time around that um, that it would be confusing to them, right? Because they're they've grown up. And Anderson has two, but his speech is not there and they, they're going to be confused by that. Mm -hmm. And so I just asked them like, Hey, could you please have this conversation with your child? And I gave them some bullet points of how to talk to them. And so I guess what I would say for other parents is just to ask, like, ask, like, how do I talk to my children about your child? you know, just have the conversation and listen, you know, just yeah. really listen to the parent and, and see what, um, what their child needs. Yeah. I know that you're not like you're one person and Anderson is one child and, you know, everybody has different and specific needs, but would you mind sharing a couple of the things that you shared with those families? Like if there is somebody listening who could take away, um, some thoughts or ideas if they, sure. if they know other families who have a child yeah. with Down syndrome. Yeah. So I, I told them, I said, the biggest thing is to not be afraid to say disability or down syndrome. Um, and to tell them that Anderson has down syndrome, it is something that he was born with and it's something that he will always have. Um, down syndrome is not a bad thing that it makes Anderson who he is. And it's a good thing, but it also makes some things a little bit harder for Anderson. And I told them how, you know, for Down syndrome to be specific with Down syndrome, it means that he has low muscle tone. So, um, you know, he might not run as fast and uh, it also affects like the muscles in his mouth and in his tongue. And those muscles have to get stronger before he can um, to speak more clearly. Um, and that there might be, and I think this would go for a lot of kids with different disabilities, that Anderson, part of his brain um, that uh, controls his impulses is not as developed yet as theirs are. So where they maybe would have um, taken up a ball while kids were playing soccer and ran away with it when they were toddlers, um, Anderson still does some things like that. Mm -hmm. He might knock over a tower and he might do, do something like that, that you don't understand because that part of his brain is just slower to develop right now and that he will get there, but he's still, he, and it's okay to tell him no, 
but just also have a little bit extra grace for him and understanding. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. I feel like that will be so helpful. Like something just really practical that we can do to um, help, you know, make those children feel more included. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I told them too, and I think this would also um, apply to a lot of different disabilities is that just because Anderson might not be able to respond in a way um, that you would respond to a question doesn't mean that he doesn't understand what you're saying. So talk to him like you would anyone else. Um, and at the end of the day, he wants what you want. And that's just to be he just wants friends. He loves to play. He loves to have fun. And he just wants to have people to do that with. Yeah. Jillian, I feel like part of this is, um, like some of this is having empathy and like seeing people's um, different situations and like saying, okay, why are they different? And how can I come alongside them? And I know empathy is really important to you and it's powerful. And I don't think any of us could disagree with that. But why is it so important to you? And how can we you know, in addition to educating our children and, you know, including um, children with disabilities in school, like how can we um, on the day to day, like have a heart change and like start showing more empathy, start practicing empathy more when it comes to interacting with um, children with disabilities? Hmm. I think um, the thing with empathy for me, I think why <laughs> I think it was when I was in the grieving process with over Anderson's diagnosis, um, where people would just say things that were not helpful. <laughs> and then it took me a little bit while uh, longer to realize that if I were in that situation, I might've had the same response. I might've tried to fix it. I think I used to be a big fixer. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I think that, you know, I, I, before Anderson, I probably was, toxically positive. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I don't know if you saw that talk that I give on toxic positivity, but I, but I think that's why I feel, feel strongly about that. Um, so, but when it comes to having empathy for, um, I guess, special needs families, I would just say that knowing, like, I, I think the people I am closest with understand that my life is different, that sometimes it is a little bit harder and I need to be able to talk about that, but it is also not, not a bad life. You know, I don't need their pity. I just mm -hmm. need them to listen to me and, um, understand that like when I have, uh, three specialist appointments between my two boys, cause my youngest child has some medical issues too. Like, uh, yeah, I feel a little afraid <laughs> and, um, just to step in with kindness there and not try to fix it or, or try to feel bad for me, but just to, just to sit with me in that. Yeah. Um, Jillian, what is, what are some of your greatest fears? Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing for Anderson and his life and future. Hmm. You know, this question, really the answer has changed so much over time because I think what was so hard for me with Anderson's diagnosis in the beginning was thinking that he would never contribute to society, that he wouldn't have a job, that he wouldn't live independently, that he wouldn't get married. It was like all those like checklist things. None of those things scare me anymore. You know, um, he, I do believe that Anderson will live independently. People at Down syndrome are, are doing that. But if he doesn't, 
that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Um, we will make it work. We'll get an RV and we will go travel the country. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we'll hit every national park, but, but I believe that he will, but if he doesn't, it's okay. Um, because that is not my ideas of success were so skewed. They were so, I don't know how else to say this, but like Americanized, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, the whole like American dream thing. Um, Anderson has really just blown that to bits for me. And I think, I do think that one of the struggles I have with Anderson, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Um, one of the struggles I have as a parent of a child with a disability is um, be- wanting to believe in him and me- and having high expectations of him, right? That is my job to have high expectations with him while also accepting him for exactly who he is. And that's a very thin line to walk. Um, I think that's my greatest challenge as a parent of a child with a disability. But back to your question, what's my biggest fear for him? It's not those big things anymore. It's not that he won't have a job or live independently or get married anymore. Those things do not scare me anymore because I realize his worth is so much more than a checklist of things. My fear for Anderson is acceptance from other people, you know? Yep. Like I just, I love him so much. I don't know. He has so much to give and I just want other people to see that too. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was going to ask on the flip side, what's your greatest hope for him? And I don't know if that you would just answered it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, really that is mm-hmm. right. Like I just want him, you know, before, like I said, success to me meant such different thing than it means now. Um, but now I think there are plenty of ways to live a successful life, but there's only one common ingredient for any successful life. And that is love, you know, to have a life that's full of love. So I just hope that Anderson can find that in other people outside his family and not necessarily if, you know, if he gets married one day, great people down syndrome are doing that, but also just, you know, with friendships and meaningful relationships. Yeah. Um, Jillian, you mentioned like, it's a fine line and I'm sure it's just a daily like dance of like surrender of like walking with those high expectations and like hopes for him versus like, you know, working with challenges and like, how do you do that on a day-to-day basis? Like, how do you, (laughs) what do you, what are your prayers like? How does God intercede and help you with those things? How do you, how do you walk that fine line? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how I do it. I, I think, you know, just like everything, like, I feel like Anderson goes through a lot of phases, you know, when your children are young, you kind of like, it's like every three months you're in a new phase. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think for me, um, I have a lot more patience than I used to. Like I, I used to like want to have a timeline for him. Like, okay, by this month, he's going to be walking or, you know, whatever. Now that's way, you know, I've mellowed out (laughs) a lot. And I think like in a practical sense of day to day, 
it was like yesterday, uh, we sat down to do sight words and um, some number stuff and just trying to get back into a little bit of a school mode before school starts. And, and he did great, you know, like he, he wanted to do it. And then other days he doesn't want to do it. And if we do like one of those things, it's like, okay, that's fine. And here's Elmo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think in a practical sense, it looks a little bit like that. Like I, I do sometimes worry that Anderson is over therapy. I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. Like has too much therapy and too many people telling him what to do. And so I think for me as a mom, I've kind of had to dial it back a little bit. Like let those people be the educators and the teachers and the therapists and let me be mom. Yeah. And his soft place to land. Yeah. So, so good. I think that's such a good reminder for mm-hmm. all parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jillian, um, in the last five plus years um, and all that your son has taught you and the ways that he's changed you, um, what do you feel that God has set you free from? Yeah, I, I feel like I answered this a little bit mm-hmm. too, too early maybe, but um, I think the biggest thing that God has set me free from is the is the image issues, the idea of success, the idea of having the house with the white picket fence and um, having to show the world that I have it all together. Um, instead, what Anderson has done for me is I kind of show the world how I always never have it together. <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right. And that um, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, make me or love me less. You know, I think for Anderson, I think what Jesus has set me free from has been, he has shown me who I really am and he has done it through Anderson, like who I really am and who he made me to be and not what I thought the world needed from me, but just I'm loved for who I am. And Anderson is loved for who he is and he's perfect the way he is. And I think that's the the main thing I've been set free from. Yeah. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) it is. And it's still something I have to work on a a lot. Right. Like kind of, you know, my, I hope my career is just like starting to bud. Right. But, um, making sure that I don't write things because people will like them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Staying true to myself and what God has called me, not what God God has called her to write about or, you know, that kind of thing. And um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that and just being so personal and open about your family. Um, I think it just is, really good insight for people who who don't have that life. And just to see, I think the points that you made about Anderson, like wanting <clears throat> him to be accepted and loved and all of those things, like at the end of the day, it's like, that's what we all want. And we are all his children, no matter, you know, what different thing we have along with our life. Um, the other day, uh, my daughter, she just turned four and she has uh, something called phenylketonuria. It's a metabolic disorder. And, um, we it basically we're dealing with food all day long every day 
Um, she can only have a certain number amount of fee every day. And I mean, it's something that's very, very specific and the numbers have to be exact. And it, it's oh, something wow. that consumes our life like daily. And it's okay. Like on the outside, nobody would see any difference in her. But we sat down, it was her birthday a couple of days ago. And she was, she said, now that I'm four, I don't have PKU anymore. And Jesse oh. and I just like, I just started like tearing up and like had to turn around and it's like, you know, like, no, you do, you still do. And you're, you're, you know, who knows what will happen in the future. But as far as yeah. right now, you're always going to, but like, you know, my greatest fear is like her feeling isolated or her feeling not included because it, it seems silly, but it's not, yeah. you know, being able to just eat whatever she wants. Um, but anyway, like I understand from a mother's heart, like wanting your child to feel, you know, not like they're on the outside because of yes. whatever reason. So I think we can all resonate with that regardless of what our life looks like. But thank you so much for sharing um, just specifically about Down syndrome and the, the things that Anderson and your family, you know, the challenges and the joys as well. I think it's um, it's beautiful and God, you know, he doesn't mess up. So I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I say that having a child with a disability for me, and I've heard other people say this too, and I, I, I am not the original creator of this line. I don't know where it came from, but the highs are higher and the lows are lower. Yeah. And, um, and I've come to really appreciate that about my life almost, you know? Yeah. No, it's so beautiful. Um, where, Jillian, where can we see your family? Where can we follow along? Yeah. I know we mentioned your blog at JillianBenfield.com, but um, where are you on Instagram? Yep. My Instagram handle is Jillian Benfield blog. Okay. And then on Facebook, it's just my name, Jillian Benfield. Awesome. Um, We'll go check her out. Say hi. Oh, Uh, I have one more thing. I have a free ebook um, on my website. It's linked in Instagram and it's uh, pinned to the top of my Facebook page. It's on my website and it's called the five, um, it's called five spiritual comforts for special needs parents. And I think, although it is geared towards special needs parents, if you don't have a child with special needs, it, it is, um, there for you too. And it's free. So. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much, Jillian. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Thank you. Again, don't forget to check out the show notes where we have all of the info and links and resources we talked about in the show. You can go to beckymorquecho.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-O-R-Q-U-E-C-H-O.com. Thanks for listening in.